In the lead up to Halloween, take a journey with me as we go down the winding cobbled streets and closes of old Edinburgh as we discuss the spooky, the gruesome and the horrific tales that plague the city. Episode 3, The Underground Cities. Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Guys podcast. I'm your host, Kieran. Thank you for joining. In this episode, we're still looking back at Edinburgh's dark past. This time, we're going to be looking at the underground city. Edinburgh's famous for a lot of things. It's famous for housing the Scottish Parliament. It's famous for the Fringe Festival. It's also famous for its very dark history. As we have learned so far, it's got a serious poltergeist case, as well as infamous body snatchers. But it's also famous for having an underground city. Tunnels that run the length of the old part. One of the main underground cities is Mary King's Close, which is situated on the Royal Mile, right next to where the Royal Exchange is. You can access Mary King's Close by going through the gift shop, buying your tickets and waiting to be led down. Once you've bought your tickets, you are taken downstairs, down a few flights, into the Close itself. And as soon as you get into the Close, there is an atmosphere shift. It's almost as if you're being transported back in time. You were guided through the close, hearing all the stories of the people that lived there. Now, Mary's King's Close was named after a trader who lived on the close in the 17th century, a very famous trader called Mary King. So they named the close after her. The close was cramped. It had a lot of small houses situated on the side of it. It also consisted of several other closes winding off it. Hundreds and hundreds of people lived here and it also housed tenement buildings that stretched eight stories high, so much so that they actually bent at the top and their neighbours could shake hands with the people who lived opposite them. Clothes would hang from building to building, drying in the wind, and the street level was horrendous. At the end of the close, it led down to the Nor Loch, and the Nor Loch was like a marshy lake where everybody's waste from the city rolled down into it. So imagine the close in the 1600s. It's dark, it's dismal, it's made of cobbled stone, but you are more than likely not going to be walking on the stone. You're going to be walking on hay, animal filth and human filth, all rolling down to the Norlock where you get your drinking water. It's also where you wash your clothes and get the water to wash yourself. So disease is rife in that area. In the small houses, up to eight or nine people are living in one room. Whole generations of people living in one room, all using one bucket. And the youngest member of the family is tasked with emptying that bucket. How would they empty it? They would just chuck it out into the street. They would shout Gardilu to warn anyone who's passing by they didn't want to splash anyone. But that waste would roll down the street and end up in the Norloch. Not only that, the houses didn't have electricity at the time, so they were lit by oil lamps and they would burn fish oil. So the stench was incredible. With the squalor that people were living in in Edinburgh, there was an influx of rats scurrying about the city and they had fleas. And the fleas were riddled with a disease called Yersinus pestis bacteria. And they were the blame for countless deaths including many of those on Mary King's Close. This was the start of the Black Death. The plague 
wiped through Edinburgh in the 1600s, killing millions. Symptoms included swollen glands, unsightly pus-filled boils in the groin area and under the arm. Severe bouts of intense vomiting continued. The players didn't care who it took. Young children, men, women. Although there's no concrete evidence, it's thought in 1645 they bricked up Mary King's clothes, keeping over 300 people inside to die. However, there's no confirmation that this really happened. They did allow one doctor to go in, one Dr. George Ray, who was the last plague doctor in Edinburgh. While entering the close, he was a very ominous sight, wearing a large, long leather coat and a trilby hat and a long-beaked mask. The masked stuff full of sweet-smelling herbs because they thought that the plague was airborne and they thought that maybe this would help protect them. Unbeknownst to them, by wearing the large leather coat, it actually saved their lives because it would prevent the fleas from actually being able to bite them. But he would go into the close and he would help anyone and he would burst the boils by using a red hot poker. There wasn't any anaesthetic back then. So these people were having red hot pokers shoved into them and it was incredibly painful. Anyone who had the plague would hang out white handkerchiefs outside their door to say that they needed food, coal and different supplies or even needed the doctor to come to them. He was successful in that he didn't catch the plague and city officials actually said that they would pay him a hefty amount of money for putting his life in danger. When the plague stopped and he was able to survive it, he went back to city officials and he demanded he got more money because of the sights that he had seen and what he'd had to do. Mary King's Close has been dubbed one of the most haunted places in Scotland with sightings of a woman in black, footsteps have been heard and voices have been heard in the close. Hauntings actually date back to 1685, when one Thomas Coldheart, a lawyer who refused to leave his home in 1645, he was driven mad with images of disembodied limbs and bodiless phantom children, and even a gruesome dog sat on his couch, all curled up, horrendous and skin hanging off. This man was driven insane by what he'd seen. Visitors alike have now claimed to have seen figures in the close that are dressed in period clothing, and they've thought it was actors, but when the actors have said, there's no one down there, that's when they realise it wasn't an actor they were seeing. One of the most famous hauntings of Mary King's close is that of Wee Annie. A Japanese medium is said to have made contact with Wee Annie, who supposedly died of the plague. Apparently it goes that her family had died and that she had been left on her own to try and survive. She told the medium that when her family had died that she was lonely and that she had lost her favourite doll and she had no one to play with and that she was looking for people to play with. The medium was filming a documentary with the BBC and when the cameraman went into the room that has now been dubbed Annie's room, the medium refused to enter. She said there was a great evil within that room. And then shortly after, she claimed that Annie appeared beside her and held her hand and asked her to go inside. Moments later, the medium entered the room and the cameraman was shocked to find the medium standing there and said, I thought you didn't want to come in. 
and she said Annie has told me it's alright. She said that Annie had told her that when her family had died that she had lost her doll and that she was very, very lonely and all she wanted was people to play with. Touched by this story, the medium had asked the runner of the TV show to head back up onto the Royal Mile and go to one of the tourist shops and pick up a small doll so Annie could have something to play with. He did so and came back with the doll. And she laid the doll down in Annie's room and she said this is for her, the doll that she's looking for. And Annie disappeared. This was back in 1995 and for years and years people have been visiting Mary King's Close and leaving dolls. So much so that there's actually a shrine to young Annie full and full of dolls from different varieties and chocolate bars from around the world. And you can go and leave a doll or a chocolate bar for young Annie in the hopes that she'll one day return. Many people have said that young Annie actually appears beside them and holds their hand and you can hear her giggling, but this is down to speculation. I've been down to Mary Kane's Close many times and while there's a very strange feeling, it's almost like claustrophobia and that's because you're under the ground. I don't get the sense that there's any evil down there. There's certainly a presence and certainly an atmosphere. Whether or not that's paranormal or if it's just suggestion that you're in somewhere so old and confined to a small space, that's possibly what it could be. Do I think it's haunted? Yes, I do. But I want the evidence to find out. Many people believe that the hauntings that have been caused in Mary King's Close, certainly that date back to the 1600s, are caused by gases from the Nor Loch that's causing people to hallucinate. While the Nor Loch is no longer there and was filled in to make way for Princess Street Gardens, one could argue that the gases still remain within Mary King's Close itself and is making people hallucinate even today. During the construction of the Royal Exchange in 1753, part of Mary King's Close was closed down and knocked down. The remaining part was knocked down to build houses. So only a small part of the close remains. If you go into the museum itself, they actually have a part to show you what the original close was like and it is incredibly narrow and incredibly dark. Although Merrick's close is said to be one of the most haunted places in Scotland, Edinburgh is home to many more vaults that lie underneath the city and I'm going to be talking to you now about the Southbridge vaults and Nidre Street vaults. While they're one of the same, they both have different stories. The Southbridge vaults are formed in 19 arches that make up Southbridge. The bridge itself was completed in 1788 and for 30 years businesses had moved into the arches. So businesses such as whiskey distilleries, tanners, taverns, all these different businesses moved in. The construction of the bridge was rushed because they needed to connect the two parts of the city because the city was expanding. And as a result, with the weather that Scotland's got, water seeped through the bridge, disrupting the arches, making conditions down there horrendous. Businesses moved out after about 30 years because the conditions had just got too much and the poor and destitute moved in and as a result it created an environment that wasn't very nice. It became infamous for crime 
illegal gambling, illegal whiskey distillery, smuggling, and even reports that the infamous body snatchers William Burke and William Hare prowled the vaults looking for their victims. It's also said that they kept the victims in some of the wine cellars inside the vaults. None of this has been proven, but it makes for a very spooky tale. Many people felt that the South Bridge itself was cursed, in that people died during the making of the bridge. The wife of a judge was said to be the first person to cross the bridge, and a couple of days before the bridge was finished, the wife died. But the city officials were true to their word, and they allowed her to be the first person to cross the bridge, and they did so by carrying the woman in a horse and cart across the bridge in her coffin. And she was the first person to cross the bridge. And from then, people felt that the bridge was cursed and that the vaults underneath were a place like hell. So over the time, the conditions got worse and people were living in horrendous conditions to the point where it was very dark, it was very damp and it was flooding really, really bad. There was no running water and there was no sanitation whatsoever, up to 10 family members in one room. So it was very similar to Mary King's Close, but a lot worse. So can you imagine living somewhere like that, being forced to live in horrendous conditions? where you step outside your house and you run the risk of getting killed for whatever whatever you've got on you. People were mugged, people were raped, people were murdered, and bodies would just lie out in the street because the police didn't want to enter the area because it was so prolific. Gangs would run, run the area and you would be forced to hand over any money that you've got and any possessions that you've got. It's thought that between 1835 and 1875 that the vaults were no longer in use. Even as a last resort, the poor were refusing to go down there because of the horrendous conditions. And in the 19th century, the vaults were filled in and forgotten about. In 1980, the vaults were rediscovered by one Nori Rowan, who was a Scottish rugby internationalist who found a tunnel running underneath a pub that he owned. In 1989, he helped his friend Christian Radunaku, who was a Romanian rugby player, escape the Romanian Secret Service and seek political asylum weeks before the Romanian Revolution. Another story of the discovery of the vaults that I've heard is that it was found by a group of students who actually knocked through a wall and stumbled into the room, but there's no confirmation that this story is actually true. Nori and his son began excavating the vaults, and in doing so they found things like medicine bottles and toys and plates. They also found lots of oyster shells, which was a cheap commodity back in the time. This proved that people lived in the vaults, which was something that people weren't aware of. In recent years, through research, they've also discovered it was a very dark and desolate place to live. So perhaps, rediscovering the vaults has unleashed a dark energy that was lying dormant. Because now the vaults are actually classed as one of the most haunted places in Britain. Supposedly there's a man down there called Mr. Boots. He's also known as the Watcher, and he likes to stand in one of the wine vaults, in the corner, just watching people go by. He'll throw the odd stone to try and attract people's attention and get them to come over to him, and he might whisper something like, Get out. But he's been seen to stand in the corner, and actually recently, it's thought that he's been caught in a photograph. 
A tourist took a picture of her sister and in the background there is a large looming shadow figure behind her thought to be that of the watcher. There's also a man called the cobbler who again likes to stand and watch but he doesn't like women. So anytime any women stand in his vicinity they start to feel very unwell. They start to feel that someone's watching them and he's even gone as far as attacking some, scratching them. Their story of a white-faced man who appears behind the tour guides as they're telling their stories. White face and dark sunken eyes as he peers over their shoulder watching the tourists. He's even been known to blow out the candles. While this could just be a story that's told by the tour guides to scare tourists, it's still quite a spooky tale. One of the most famous hauntings down there though is that of a little boy called Jack. It's thought that a tourist brought her daughter down there just to explore the vaults because at the time you could explore them just like a museum. You had to go on a guided tour but it was still like a museum so they took their daughter down there and while they were exploring one of the rooms they noticed that the daughter didn't want to leave and when they asked the daughter why don't you want to leave and she said I want to play with the little boy and of course they couldn't see a little boy but they told her right you need to come along now so when they were standing in the main corridor of the vault with a guide telling them the stories and some of the ghost stories they all noticed this little girl was sat on one of the steps and it seemed like she was talking to someone and when they asked her who she was talking to she said there was a little boy called Jack who was telling her that he lived on the vaults at the time and how horrendous it was to live there and she was telling the stories of what it was like to live in the vaults because of what this little boy was saying and the guide was able to confirm exactly what the little girl was saying. There was no way this little girl could have known that information without Jack telling her. Needless to say the family removed the girl pretty quickly and got out of the vault, terrified. Supposedly in one of the wine vaults there's a satanic ritual room which was used by a satanic cult and during one of their rituals one of the members died. This is all speculation. The room is set up for rituals but it is used by a Wiccan group and only they have access to the room. The tour guides don't have access to it. And some of the Wiccans have actually reported that the room has been upturned and destroyed when only one person's got the key and no one else has access. They find this very strange and can't explain it. There's a room within the vaults that the guides have tried to replace the bulb within the light to make sure that the room is light enough for people to go in that every time they put a bulb in the bulb explodes. They try replacing it and again the bulb explodes. So they have left the room in complete darkness because there's no way for them to light it, save that for a candle. I've been in the vaults a few times and it is a very strange place to be in. The last time we visited the vaults, we went down, listened to the guide, he was telling us all the stories and you go down the, the stone staircases and you're led into the dark street and they've left it as it was, as how dark it is. So you get an idea of just how horrible the conditions were. The corridor stretches out for miles and you can see it turning off at the end. And you're, as you're stood in what was the street, 
you get a strong sense that someone is watching you. That's probably because there's a large space behind you, but it's a very ominous feeling. We were led into one of the rooms, and with us on the tour guide was a six foot five Australian guy. And he was stood at the back of the group as the tour guide was telling us the stories. Next thing you know, his girlfriend yelps and he goes crashing to the ground. He's unconscious. For not for very long and the tour guide ushers everybody out of the room then goes back to tend to the man. He comes around and when he's asked as to what happened, he just says he got a very strong feeling that someone was behind him and next thing he knows he collapses. Now these vaults, they are very, very tight and when there's lots of people, there's not a lot of oxygen. In my opinion, I think that he just got a bit too claustrophobic, couldn't get enough air and collapsed. Now, now lots of people would argue that it was a spirit that did it, but I think there's a natural explanation. And while it's dark and all your senses are heightened, the slightest thing is going to put you on edge. It's very, very creepy in the vaults and very, very terrifying. Lots of TV shows have been down there. Ghost Adventures have been down there and Most Haunted have been down there. Now, while I don't believe in Most Haunted or Ghost Adventures, there is one TV show which made me question what was happening down there and it could just have been for entertainment. But there was a TV series where they got celebrities to go around and discover things that they were interested in. For example, you had Joe Swash traveled the UK looking for ghost stories. You had Danny Dyer who was traveling the UK looking for alien stories. With Joe Swash's story, he went to Edinburgh and he went down to the vaults. And the production team had said to him what they wanted him to do was stay in the vaults overnight. He wasn't very brave, and he, but he went down there and he tried to stay the best he could. He was on his own. So he set up a little bed in one of the vaults and he lay down to sleep. As he was sleeping, he could hear footsteps all around him and that freaked him out to the point where he had to leave. When he left and he took his audio equipment back to the editor to say, this is what I've caught, the editor found something which was really compelling. Over the audio, the sound of chanting had been caught and it went on for about 20 minutes just in the background and it was very very low at first they thought it could have been the sound from a nearby nightclub which was penetrating the stone which is just above because you could hear the beat of the music the noises still continued even after the club closed it's really important to know also that joe didn't hear the noises at the time one explanation they did come up with it was that it could have been weak radio signals coming from a radio taxi that the mic was picking up However, they didn't come to official conclusion. But this chanting sounded like it was coming closer and walking away. Closer and coming walking away. The footsteps echoing within the corridor. Quite terrifying if I had heard that and I was on my own. Now the vaults are somewhere that I've always wanted to investigate. Somewhere that I've, like I said, I've been many, many times as a child and also as an adult. And every time I go down in there, like I say, there is a strange feeling. They're not nice places to be in. And if we're just visiting there for 10, 20 minutes as tourists, 
Just take a moment to try and imagine what life would have been like living in one of those vaults during the time of the Black Plague, during the time of Burke and Hare, when you were trying to live your life, but you've got these horrendous situations happening around you. That's just food for thought as we lead up to Halloween. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye for now.